The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. I was confused because I thought I thought this this was going to be because we we haven't done this in a while, Holly, mm-hmm. like a Holly and Friends episode. Yeah, it kind of but, is because we well, we do float in the same circle. Right. I've seen our guests today on different Zoom meetings, but we've <laughs> never hung out. I was like, well, if Stephanie's a friend of Holly and then I saw that you were a friend with Lori, I'm just like, okay, the only one who doesn't have a friendship yet is <laughs> me and you. Stephanie Bullyu, how are you? Good. I'm so glad to be here. By the end of this, the goal, <laughs> I think, is for you no longer to be friends with Holly and then you and I start <laughs> hanging cool. out. Yeah. Okay. Is that too, too much? Yeah. Can, can we all be friends? I mean, Why can't we be friends? Yeah, I think that should be a song. That's a good thing. Anyway. We're all in this together. We're exactly. You are from originally where, Steph? I was born in Richmond, British Columbia. My dad immigrated to Vancouver in the 70s, so I'm half Filipino uh, by heritage, uh, Canadian by birth, and my mom is uh, Canadian, um, so I'm half Filipino. And so uh, I get that question a lot of like, where are you from or what are you? Right? I hate those questions. I'm human, but thanks. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're like, what's your ethnic back? People are just trying to find out what your ethnic yeah. mix is, but there's some very interesting ways of asking that question. Because Holly usually gets, uh, I mean, you get, you've, I've known you forever. You get an array of different, like, are you this or are you this? Yeah. Or- are you yeah. Latina? No. Yeah. Yeah. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever feel like you were different because you had, uh, you know, multicultural, uh, multicultural yeah. family and, yeah. you know, parents from different places? Yeah, absolutely. We moved to Cochrane, Alberta, when I was uh, three years old. And at the time, this is not the case today, but at the time, my dad was one of three non-Caucasian people. So like the kids mm. in elementary school had never seen black hair. <laughs> and so I kind of grew up, um, I mean, Filipino culture is warm it's welcoming it's amazing but i always felt like i wasn't quite filipino enough to be considered filipino and i wasn't quite canadian enough so you know when you're kind of a a cross-culture kid like that sometimes you don't really exactly know where you fit so that was definitely a bit of my experience growing up i also had a similar experience because i grew up just outside of edmonton yeah and it's like you can count the non-white people on one hand Didn't even need my thumb. I don't know. Like for me, it made me on an uh, earlier level and earlier age and try to figure out who I was and my identity mm. for mm. you and your own self identity. Was that uh, early, early questions from a young age? I was a pretty like happy go lucky kind of kid. So I don't know that I maybe noticed right away. Like I would kind of, my husband is, um, is Filipino too. And, and he'll, he's very aware of like those kinds of things, but it's funny. I think I always felt pretty white. Like I, (laughs) but so sometimes when I'm like somewhere, it's like, I forget, you know, and then if there's people, you know, like if you're in a small town, Alberta and people are kind of looking, I'm like, what are they looking? Oh, right. Like, (laughs) I'm a visible minority. I forgot. (laughs) So yeah. And I think too, like my mom is Canadian and I have heard that, um, whatever your mother's culture is, has more influence in the home. So I have friends who are half Filipino whose mom was Filipino and they, I mean, ate more Filipino food, felt more Filipino, kind of grew up more, you know, submerged in the culture. Whereas I just kind of felt like, um, I'm just here, you know, and I'm happy to be here. And then kind of, so I, I always have to like 
remind myself, you know, the joke was that I was a coconut, like brown on the outside, white on the inside. Um, mm. <laughs> I love that. That was me too. I was a rebel. Yeah. I was yeah. a chocolate ice cream bar because yeah. I was white yeah. on the inside yeah. and brown yeah. on the I out. Yeah. Exactly. So wow. I, I totally feel that. I think it's completely true. You're, you really do yeah. absorb the culture of your mom. Yeah. Johnny's vanilla. like, <laughs> I was vanilla. I was He's vanilla. like, I don't. Got nothing, guys. White yeah. on the outside. White on the inside. <laughs> but with that said, I find it very interesting that there are so many different cultures. And I mean, we live in a melting pot of Canada. Yep that we all kind of find our own place, despite the fact sometimes, despite the color of our skin, we all feel very different. Yeah. And I think in Canada, you know, even as opposed to other places in the world, there's almost like a lot more permission for diversity, whereas it's mm. not like we're not trying to make everybody fit into one mold, but there's, you know, there's some, there's space. It's more of a mosaic. Mosaic. I believe mm. that. Yeah. I remember that. That's my one thing I remember from social studies. I know, Canada, right? They, and the States is a melting pot, but it is. It really, truly is. Um, yeah. Yeah, a mosaic. I bet you didn't think today we'd be going back to grade eight. No, I didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Shout out to Miss Oleski. See, we remember things. There we, we go. Remember. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. All right. So I, um, of course, you've got a book that just came out. Mm-hmm. You had a fantastic launch party. We can see it behind you yes. um, for those who are checking out our YouTube channel. Um, and balloons, like quite a party, <laughs> but you don't just write a book because you're like, Hey, it's a Thursday and I want to write a book. There's time. What should I do with myself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, there's nothing going on. I'm going to write yeah. a, a book. Um, yeah. let's talk about some of those life experiences that led up to, um, writing this book. I know mm-hmm. you and your dad are very close. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my dad and I were, were pretty close growing up and he always, he had four girls. And he just always wanted a son, but he always said he was happy that he got basketball players at least. There you go. Uh, yeah. So just, and that's like Filipino culture is like, you must play basketball. So <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess my why me uh, moment would have been May 5th, 2008. And my dad called me that day and he said, um, he said, Hey, is Mike home? That's my husband. And I said, yeah. And I just kind of had that feeling like something's not right. Yeah. And then he said, um, are you sitting down? Mm. And I said, yeah. And by then I'm like, why, you know, like what, what's going on? And he said, I have really bad news. Um, the doctor said I have ALS and I have three to five, it's fatal. And I have three to five years to live. And that was just this, like, what, like, you know, he had been having this weakness in his finger since the previous January. And we thought, you know, he'll go to the doctor, they'll diagnose it. They'll give him medicine. He'll get better. Maybe it's carpal tunnel or arthritis or something like that. And just never in a million years did I expect that kind of news. So that was really a, a earth shattering, like, you know, and then you start, why me? Why this? Why now? Why us? You know, why our family? So that that was a really big yeah proponent in, in the story, living the story first, of course, before writing it. Mm-hmm. Where, where was he at the time? He was living in Calgary. We were living in Lethbridge. I was like newlywed. We'd been married like nine months. I was going to school. Um, and you know, when you're an adult, like a young adult, there's this, I don't know, transition period where you're kind of switching from being like a kid to being like friends with your parents. And we were just, mm. just kind of coming into that. And I remember he would a couple times that year he had called and I, you know, after a couple minutes, I'm like, dad, why, why are you calling? And he's like, I just want to see how you're doing, you know? Mm. And and so just that, like, oh, we're, we're there now. You know, it's not like I'm home for dinner every night. And now you just, you care about my life, right? And you want to know what's going on. And 
Um, so that was kind of the phone call I sort of expected once, you know, a week or once every couple of weeks. So this one just really, really took me by um, surprise. Your relationship with your parents, was were you guys pretty close? Yeah. Um, so my dad was, I didn't really realize this till I was writing the book, but my dad was like a brand new believer. Like he got saved when I was four months old. So I never knew him like pre-Jesus. Um, but he, I mean, I heard stories, it's like stories that I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> a dad? My dad's a pastor. I don't think that's real. And, um, but one of the things, you know, like looking back, I can always just be really real with him. Like I remember this season, he, he, he eventually went into ministry and, and, um, he was really busy and I was probably junior high and he would drive me to school. And this one day he, um, he was like, Steph, what's new in your life? And I was like staring out the window, like arms crossed. And I was normally just like, you know, chatty. And I looked at him and I said, um, you never have any time for me anymore. And now you want to know what's, like, what's new in my life and just like fire. Like I was probably, I don't know, 14, just angry. And, um, but he never was like, how dare you speak to me like that young lady, you know, mm-hmm. like he just was really humble and really approachable. And so that always lent itself to, I couldn't speak my mind with everybody, but I could always you know, with my dad, just kind of like let out whatever was there. And, and it was just never met with judgment. So that was kind of the back and forth, you know, kind of that we had. Um, yeah, in our relationship. Uh, you mm-hmm. say that your dad became a Christian, and you were just a wee little baby. Yes. Um, when did your journey with uh, your yeah. faith begin? Yeah, um, I was uh, the rebel age of eight, I always kind of joke. So my parents, I knew they had these really dramatic conversion stories. And so growing up, I always thought like, I don't have a story. Like, it's just really boring. It's not like I was like running with the wrong crowd on the wrong side of the track, (laughs) you know? Um, but I remember, um, I remember feeling that tug, you know, like back in the day, they would always give an invitation at the end of every church service, like to walk the aisle, right. And go up to the front and give your life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I remember quite like even at that age, I remember understanding that I was giving up control and I was a very like strong personality, like middle child. And I remember not wanting to do that actually. And I remember so, um, feeling that kind of like tug into the aisle and just be like, nah, maybe like maybe later. And then one day I was homesick from school. One day my mom was watching a hundred Holly street. She always watched that. And I said, mom, if I die and go to hell, can I change my mind? And then she goes, no, like, when it's done. And I'm like, okay, then so am I with like doing things my own way. Like, let's pray. So I was in grade three, I was eight years old when I, you know, went from, from darkness to light in, in the spiritual. And I remember my dad came home that day and, and I'm like, I invited someone today. And so he's guessing my teacher and my neighbor and my friends. And I'm like, no, better, better. And then finally I was like, Jesus, you know, of course he probably knew, but he played along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was the beginning. And then I went around the neighborhood and I repeated that news to everybody um, that they needed to know Jesus. And my mom got some phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you, little missionary. So right? you said- an old evangelist, <laughs> and she was like, you know, now I'm much more relational and how I show Jesus. But at the time I was like, you need to trust Jesus too. Yeah. 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 You're, you're like, yeah, you're like old. the Oprah, you get yeah. a Jesus and you, you get, get a, a Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, was I wrong? And you said that your dad was a pastor? Yeah. So he was a mechanic. Uh, he immigrated from the Philippines in the seventies. He, his dad had a shop in the Philippines. So he just continued with that trade. Um, after he got saved and just like, no one thought he would ever get saved and he got saved. And a couple of weeks later, um, 
some coworkers, they were just talking and he told one of them that he'd read this article about this workplace that had started a Bible study and it had improved productivity and all these things. And before he knows it, these two coworkers are bantering back and forth about how they wouldn't attend a Bible study if Jesse started one. And he's like, Whoa, what's happening? And before he knew it, there was a sign on the break room wall that said Bible study, 6am Jesse's bringing donuts. And he's like, what just happened? So he was like a four week old, like a four week old Christian. And, um, and like doing this early morning Friday Bible study. And over the course of about a year and a half, I think, um, just, just barely knew anything, but giving away yeah. what he now knew. And then one day the Lord spoke to him and just said, this is your training ground. And he was like, training for what? And then shortly after that, he felt called to ministry. And I don't even know, Johnny, like if he would have technically known what ministry was at that yeah. point. Yeah. Sure. But, um, a seminary, the seminary in Cochrane had just opened. And so they like, I mean, a whole series of events of putting out the fleece and asking God, but they ended up moving our family and he, started a Filipino Bible or joined a Filipino Bible study that kind of accidentally grew into a church. And so they found himself literally just found himself uh, as a pastor. And someone said, called him, they used to call him brother Jesse. And one day someone called him pastor Jesse. And he said, well, I guess if this is a church that I'm the pastor, like that was how that happened. So it was not like planned, you know, pre, it was just like, God just kind of ushered him into that. Did you feel any pressure being the daughter of the pastor? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like people would say it to me. They'd be like, oh, you're the, you're the pastor's kid. So I felt it maybe at a distance a bit from people, but not really ever from my parents. Um, they were just really real and like really authentic and they made mistakes. Mm -hmm. They would apologize and ask for our forgiveness, you know, if they lost their temper or whatever. So, um, I didn't feel like there was a lot of, there wasn't a lot of pretense in our house. And so I felt like that kind of gave, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was, afraid to like I never <laughs> like afraid to step up over the wrong side of the tracks for sure my mom just came from a really broken string of life choices and stuff so she had really mm. strict rules for us because she knew the sadness and emptiness that sin left her with so I we told the line just because we were like uh, like I was scared of my mom in a really healthy way um and so I never like had the desire to rebel and I just you know, I think it's very normal for people to question, you know, their faith and is God real and is faith for my parents. But God was so real to my parents that honestly, that was just never for me. It was never like, is he real? It does. He, it was just like, will I will I follow him? Like, that was the question for me. But he had so changed their lives that it was almost no denying, you know, it. And so I never I didn't feel that pressure from my parents, but definitely people occasionally would be like, oh, you're like, mm. you're the pastor's kid. And it was like, what does that mean? Like, I, they just, we weren't around long enough to know, you know, like in church culture long enough. So, I mean, there's not the, there's not the pressure per <laughs> se, but as you grow older, oh, yeah. there's then, you know, Hey, what are you going to be when you grow up? Did you think ministry was one of those things? Did you think that, you know, taking, taking things like uh bite-sized Bible studies yeah. would grow into what it is? Like, <laughs> where did you feel like your heart was being led to? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great question. Um, I remember like I went to Bible college for one year out of high school and that kind of gave me that buffer, you know, when you're like, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Yeah. Buys me some time. And after that year, I decided I wanted to go into education actually. Um, and I kind of was like, I want to make a difference. So teaching makes the most sense, you know, to me. So I had done my education degree. And then, um, when I was like weeks away from graduating, a friend and I we were sitting outside my house. I remember in like my Toyota Corolla. And I said to her, I don't think I'm going to be a classroom teacher. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, we're about yeah. to graduate. Like, what are you planning? 
And I said, I don't know. I just, I feel like maybe I'll be like teaching the Bible. And by then my dad had been gone for a year probably. And in that season, just of being really desperate to know that what God said was real. I mean, it just really scriptures came alive to me. And so I think that was the beginning of the birthplace of some passion for that. Um, but I never, like, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have like a five year and a 10 year, like it kind of, I guess, similar to my dad's calling, it just kind of happened. So you graduate and yep. what happens next? You're like, okay, yeah. I could be a teacher, but yeah. I really yeah. want, I want something to, yeah. to serve God with. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got my first job of all things was kindergarten and I had a phys ed degree with a math minor. Nice. And they offered me this job. And I, I think <laughs> I said, are you sure? <laughs> like, Anyways, but it was ended up being just a really fun year. My husband always accused me of like, all you do is play. I was like, we learn how we learn. But yes, it's a really fun job. Then we moved here to Airdrie. My husband got had gotten transferred and I got a teaching job for a bit. And then we started our family. And in the course of that year, I, I was kind of taking a year off. And my mom, who works for our convention and does women's ministry, she just asked me one day kind of casually like, oh, are you planning to go back to work? And I said, do you know what my dream job would be? I was like, if I could like work from home and like teach the Bible, like I would just love that. And she goes, well, let's, let's try it. Like, let's, why don't we just pick? She's like, why don't we do a Bible study on James? And so back then it was, what year was it? 2013 probably. And we did a online Bible study. This is kind of before like online was as much of a thing as it is today. And we just did the book of James. We recorded some videos. I wrote some homework. I just did it like one week at a time, like trying to, write it so I could email it out to people. And that was kind of the beginning of, um, of, of writing Bible study. And then after that, some speaking invitations just started to come and then, and then a couple more Bible studies. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, it's been 10 years. Here we are. And I, I'm not exactly sure how it happened other than God opens the door and kind of like ushers you through it when he wants to. And when you're willing to say yes. And it's so true. You blink and suddenly a decade has passed. <laughs> But you've learned so much in those 10 years. What were some of your takeaways from starting with just, you know, James and trying to have something for people to now? A couple things. One, I remember one point just feeling really overwhelmed by the online world and like, do we go here, there, like which people there's like, there's so much out there. And I remember God saying to me, start at home, like Mm -hmm. start with the women who are in your living room on Tuesday morning. And so I remember always having this, like, to know that this thing works, like I have, to, it can't just be me and like these online people, like I need to see, you know, and like work some of these things out in real life. And then you can take that and, you know, kind of apply it a little bit wider. And so I think because of that, um, just kind of being committed to like real people, real life. I think when I do go and speak, even if it's an audience I don't know, you know there's somebody with this story in the audience and there's someone struggling with with shame in this way here. And and so it's like my, you know, 10 or 12 closest friends for me represent the women. Like when I go out and minister to, I know that it's them I'm still talking to, even though they're kind of different. So that would be one, you know, like the, the home is the hardest place to do ministry, honestly, like your own family. Uh, your own people because they see the day in the day out like you fly in for a weekend and people are like oh you're the speaker and they think you're like special and you're like trust me like <laughs> look at my minivan you'll know that like it looks just like yours and I don't know how to cook chicken for like the 27th time like life is just really <laughs> ordinary and normal and stuff but I think you know keeping it real with real life people is really important and one I always kind of had this idea that um 
you know, once God was like using me or would call me that I'd have a few more things in my life worked out (laughs) or like more organized, like be better at, you know, all these things. And God just always calls me to just be really real. And lots of times, um, just this last weekend, my mom and I were speaking to a group of women in, in Texas and we were talking about how, you know, we don't just want to share the stories of things God did 15 years ago. Like we want Mm -hmm. this thing to be fresh. Like what happened 15 minutes ago? And conveniently, I had missed my flight, like going down there. So I had some fresh, like, you know, when I said, I will only ever give you grace because I always need it. Um, I mean, just like, you know, real life, not in a like this one time, a really long time ago, I used to have a hard time yeah. with this thing or this struggle. I think it's just keeping it really real and trusting that in the midst of like messiness and everyday life that God is still who he says he is. And then just being able to testify to that, I think has been really important for me in Bible study, keeping it real. There's a lot of questions that I'm going to have that I, that I'm going to try to find ways to navigate through it. But I think one of the first ones that I do want to ask is anything but ordinary is out officially. Now you can pick it up. Why did you decide to write the book? Yeah. Great question. Um, I mean, really in one sentence, I would say, because God was faithful through a season, I didn't think I'd survive a couple months before my dad was diagnosed. My husband and I were driving back home and I said to him just really out of the blue, I said, if anything ever happened to my dad, I would not be okay. I just remember like, like sobbing, like just all of a sudden, just thinking about that and thinking like anything but that God, you know, like that, that I wouldn't survive. And I remember he like reached across the car and he like grabbed my hand and he's like, your dad's fine. Like he's, he's healthy. Like nothing's going to happen to him. And then of course it was a couple of months later that we get this, this news. And so I think over the last 10 or 12 years, the thing that like makes me kind of like get up out of my seat and like want to write or want to share is when I see someone that's just going through something that's really hard, like whether that's like losing a loved one or a diagnosis or just like a hard life, you know, things not turning out the way you thought it's like the thing I want them to know. I'm like, you can take God at his word. You can trust him. And so I wanted to write this story. Of course, not, I mean, some of the side benefits, right, is honoring my dad and, and recording his story, but really just because God was so faithful to me, like to my parents, to our family, and just for people to know in the midst of the broken things, the messy things, the hard things, like there's hope and faith works when life doesn't work. That's the tagline of the book. And so that I think was what kept me going in the, like, this is really hard to write this story. That was what kept me going. I want people to know that they can trust him. So you received the phone call from your dad. Mm -hmm. Um, You said three to five years is usually the prognosis when it comes to ALS. How long from phone call to (laughs) when your father had passed? Uh, 15 months. Oh, yeah. So, and this is where I, I want to weave in through this, yeah. And, and be as, because yeah. I, I, I find some of this difficult. Do yeah. you think having, um, a finality in, in the three to five years? <laughs> I mean, for your dad, it was only 15 months. Does it mm-hmm. change your perspective of time? Oh, because yes. you only had, you know, you, what you, what you thought maybe was three to five, but was less than a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. When my dad got the news from the, um, neurologist. His first thought was, I'm going to see my Lord sooner than I thought. Oh, wow. It, it absolutely puts like, I think when your life is going really well and things are easy, you just think like, I have all the time in the world. Things are great. And I don't really think that we actually long for heaven. Um, you know, it's like my life is good. And I, you know, and, and through that 15 months of just like loss after loss after loss and like hard thing, I think I was like, 
this time on earth is short. I mean, I mean, the days are long when you're suffering, the days are long, but like the years are short. And I think there was this, this, um, invitation maybe to live life for what matters, you know? And my dad said like one of his kind of like last things he said, um, was like, if you were to live today, like it was your last year on earth, what would you do to make a difference in the kingdom of, of God? And just that, right? Like, okay, so today I have my list of things to do and I got to pick up the kids and drop, but like what actually is going to matter in eternity. And I think when you begin to live your everyday life through that lens of like, you know, these three things are made faith, hope, and love. Like does, is anything that I'm doing to do with any of those three things? Because really that's the only thing that's going to matter, you know? And, and I just, we lose sight of, I lose sight of that so easily. So I think it absolutely, when, when it was like, you have three to five years, which became 15 months. It was like, okay, what matters? And it was like faith and family. Honestly, that was, that was kind of it. And in a way it simplified life. Um, it was like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going home to like spend time with my dad because I don't know how many weekends we have left. And it just made things really simple. It was like, be present with God and present with the people you love. And, and really like everything else is, is details. How did walking with your dad to his new beginning yeah. help you grieve once he was gone? Mm. Um, actually, that's, that's an interesting question. Or did it not help? <laughs> it did and it didn't. It was so fast in hindsight. So here I am, you know, 2020, October, 2020. And I'm like, I realized that this title I've had in my heart for a couple of years is my dad's story. And I start writing. It was like slowing everything down. If I had a bucket to collect all the tears, like I cried when I sat down to the computer, I mean, like I'd be swimming in this room right now. Um, but it, I think actually writing the book was more of my grieving hmm. journey. Like it was so, it was so fast. And when you're in those really hard things and they're going really fast, you're like, just make it through, make it through, make it through, make it through. And yeah, there was like pockets of grief and and tears, of course, but like just in a deeper way, like I, I think it was harder. Like writing the book was a deeper level of grief and tears and anger. Like uh, there was a lot of things that just hadn't really um, come out for me before. And it was, yeah, I think I did more grieving writing the book probably than I did when my dad was alive because it was just so, so fast. And so I think the Lord was gracious in that way of just like, slowing it down for me and just being with me as I processed and kind of went through it. It's a weird one, but <laughs> how are you with phone calls? And I ask you that because when I had, uh, when my brother-in-law was, was killed in a car accident, we got a random phone call at a random time when my dad suffered a massive heart attack. It was late at night and it was, a, mm -hmm. so you know what I mean? You get this right. phone call from your dad and you're like, mm, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. it, 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 sometimes when the phone rings, I'm like, I don't want to calling yeah. and I don't want to answer it. Yeah. What's yeah. happening? Yeah. That's actually, I haven't really thought about that. Um, it's funny because we don't text a ton anymore, you know, like, or sorry, call like now um, the phone, like now we, uh, you know, like we text. So I don't think I have as much of those. I, I don't think I did actually. I'm just, I'm trying to think now if I, yeah, I think that was the only really hard phone call I had ever gotten. So I, I think for me, more of the triggering thing would be like when I have a like a twitch or I feel weak in my finger. Like for me, it's more the like when something doesn't feel right in my body or like mm. in my kit. I think it's more of the health related things for me. That's like, oh, no, you know, rather than the, does that make sense? Rather than. The yeah, health. absolutely. We all have triggers. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess Johnny's is the phone. Yeah, yeah, but it, don't I'm call sorry. Me. Why are you I calling? I will never call you. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's fine. It's just when it's the weird times when you yeah. don't expect it. Yeah. That's when I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? You know, because yeah. you call me at like six, seven, eight, nine in the morning when I'm up. Okay. When you're calling yeah. me at two, Milk. I'm assuming yeah. there's something not good. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, and it's just that, like, no. yeah. And there are those things that make you go like, and, and yeah. And I think for me, it's like something that was anything remotely close to what my dad was feeling and his symptoms for me. That's yeah. the, like, sure. that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had mentioned about your why me moment already about the, the call and like, why is this happening? But, you know, sometimes we go through different kinds of why me moments. Now that yeah. you have walked and are walking the journey of grief, cause I don't think you ever stop <laughs> personally. No. It yeah. just changes. It looks different from day to day. Um, I still can't listen to Kirk Franklin smile without getting really sad and missing my grandma. So like, Aww. we all have like these, and it's such a happy song. Like, it's a great tune. You know, you got a party with friends, they play it. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. I'm smiling. <laughs> yes. Happy tears. Oh my gosh. Um, but you know, kind of coming now through the other side, quote unquote, you've got the book. It's in your hands. Um, have you ever experienced the whimy moment on the other side of things where you feel humbled? Yeah. Um, I think like writing this book, like getting to the privilege of like teaching the word, you know, to like groups of women. It's like one time my mom and I were on a plane together to atmosphere going to do a, a leadership conference. And I'm like, how did we get here? Like, what, how did we get to this place of like having this, this privilege, you know, like to serve God and to, you know, get to teach women. And so we were both just kind of marveling at the goodness of God in the midst of, you know, brokenness and all these things. So, um, you know, I think sometimes there's the, like, God, why would you trust me to steward this message or, you know, and honestly, like, I don't, I don't have an answer. I think sometimes all we get is, you know, cause you're willing to trust me and you're just willing to say yes, you know? And, and it's funny cause those are really simple things, but a lot of people are, are, you know, like afraid to do them. And I started, like I start when I started writing this book, like I'd never written a book proposal. I had never, like submitted anything to an editor. Like, I mean, I just felt like God was like, write the book. So I was like, okay, I'll just write the book. And so I wrote the book and then I'm like, well, now what? Like, <laughs> and, and then, um, I, and then, so I gave it to some people to read and was like, tell me what you think. And I'll, you know, tweak and, and 10 people were like, it's awesome. And two people were like, yeah, it's a good first draft. You know, you need, like, you need to give it a rigorous edit. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And, <laughs> um, I remember just feeling stuck and like, I don't know what to do next with this book. Like, I know I need to get this out. Everyone's like, when's the book going to be done? And I'm like, I wish I could tell you. And then a friend called me um, about a year ago in March and she said, Hey, there's this rep from, from Word of Life Press was in my mom's bookstore. They have this contest. I think you should enter. It's for un unpublished finished manuscripts. And so then I was like, okay, well, I, that's what I got. <laughs> and apparently it needs a pretty, it does need a pretty rigorous edit. So God just like, you know, I think sometimes we get, ahead of like, okay, what am I getting? What's step two, three, and four? And he's like, just do one. Like I told you to write mm. the book book and then I'll tell you what to do next. And then I'll tell you what to do next. And then I'll tell you what to do next after you do the next, the last thing I told you to do. And so I think, I think in everything, it's just, you know, an invitation to walk by faith. 
anything but ordinary book.ca at everyday truth ca uh steph this has been uh amazing thank you for taking some time and sharing your heart yeah thanks so much for having me i do love that she wanted to utilize this book though to honor her father yeah and that's kind of you know i'm I'm blessed still to have uh both my 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 parents and my in-laws that I've never had to think about that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I still have a, a ton of years with them, but I just love that she wanted to do something to honor him. Yeah. And what a legacy he has left, not just for his daughters, but also yeah. the grandkids. Yeah. Very cool. So appreciate uh, Steph or Stephanie for taking the time hanging out with us. And we appreciate you for taking the time and listening to our podcast each and every week. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you for your comments and your encouragement and your suggestions of possible guests for YME Project. So keep those coming. Uh, And then, of course, you can always follow us on all the socials. And, um, share with your family about the podcast. I don't know. I'm feeling like I'm, Gosh, yeah. I'm begging. Please. Um, we're not begging. We're just begging. <laughs> but what I've loved is when you've heard something and you know it's going to encourage someone else and you send no. the link to encourage them. Uh, we just, we want to be able to be a tool for you to use. Consider us your why me resource. And, uh, don't forget, you could check out places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or faithstrongtoday.com. 